The last few weeks, we've been talking about what it means to celebrate our identity in Christ. Three weeks ago, we talked about what it meant that we were the light of the world and and what it would look like to carry that light virally into our community. Last week, Mike Murphy talked to us a little bit more about what does it mean to be deeply invested in Scripture so that our light might shine brighter. This week, we're going to be digging a little bit into what does it mean to look to heaven for our citizenship rather than here on earth. And next week, Dan is going to be joining us to continue that series as well. Before we do that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here. Lord, we pray that as we enter into worship with you, that, Lord, you would just lift the burdens from our heart. And Lord, you would just ease the distractions of our mind so that we might engage with your scripture in a new way. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that speaks to us and through us. And Lord, we just invite you to join us in this space tonight. And pray this in your name. Amen. Now, a few months ago, I was scrolling through my Facebook and I noticed um, an article that seemed pretty interesting pop up on my news feed. It was an article about a company named Mars One. Now, Mars One is a $6 billion independently funded company that is aiming their goal at establishing a permanent settlement on the planet Mars by the year 2025. 2025, they hope to have sent eight people up to Mars. Obviously, this would be a breakthrough, huge innovations. These men and women would go down as the greatest adventurers and explorers known to man. The opportunity to write your name in history like this obviously is appealing. And in fact, 223,000 people have applied. The catch is that there is no technology for a return flight. That if you are signing up, if you are selected as one of the eight people chosen to set up this uh, establishment, you will never return home. You will never come back to earth. And for the next 10 years, you will go through rigorous training to prepare for this new life in front of you. Because if somebody is to leave everything behind here on earth, if somebody is to leave behind friendships, jobs, success, family, in order to pursue this great adventure, their lives and their thoughts must change drastically. So for 10 months or for 10 years, these men and women will be training so that they have the skills and the abilities to survive. They're going to need to learn how to produce food that can be sustained in an environment free of oxygen. They're going to need to learn how they can continue to purify water. They're going to need to know how to fix ships and engineer and program because they can't call anyone to help them. On top of that, they have to change how they think because if they begin to miss home, if they begin to to want to be in community with a large group of people again, if they begin to wish that they had pursued success on earth, then surely being alone on Mars for the rest of their life will lead them to madness. 
Believe it or not, I've applied for a similar mission. And I think many of you in here have as well. Let's open up to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Philippi. And he says, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, Paul is addressing this group of church-going people, this group of people that are the very first um, acceptors of Christ. And he's talking to them, and he says, Look, when you give your life to Christ, you give up your life here on earth. But I suspect that many of you, Paul says, are living guided by your earthly ambitions. In fact, you eat what you like, you're tempted by your stomach, you boast in the most shameful things, and you think first only of yourself. And not of Christ. You see, Paul recognizes that if we accept Christ into our lives, that we have become citizens of heaven. And just like those men and women that are going to Mars, we must retrain our lives to look differently. We must retrain our minds to think differently. Because similarly, if we do not... We will be led to destruction and madness and, and we will forget about heaven and where we are going. I think so many of us like to think of heaven as a trip that we're booking for the end of our lives. But just like these astronauts, it begins now and training begins now. And it will look drastically differently. So what does it look like for us, for you and I, to live in this world while recognizing that we are actually truly living in heaven. And we turn to um, Matthew chapter 5, which comes from the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying for the last few weeks. A few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus is addressing a group of ragtag people, men and women that don't necessarily have any earthly success. They're not necessarily wealthy, and they don't have great influence. But he addresses them and says, Truly, I tell you, yours is the kingdom of heaven. It is you that will be carrying my cross here on earth. It is you that will inherit eternal life. And he goes on to say, in fact, it is you that are going to carry my light into all the nations around the world. He has lifted these people up. He has encouraged them. He has let them know that he has a great plan for them. But then he continues to say, now here's what that plan looks like. Here's what it looks like to reorient the way that you live your life and change the way that you think about this world. So we'll start in Matthew 5, verse 38. It says, You have heard the law that says punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
Now, this law to us seems pretty harsh, but the reality is, is during this time, this was actually a code of mercy, of great justice. This law protected those that were weak. This law protected those that were not influential enough to stand up in a court. This protected the boy that stole a loaf of bread from being beaten. This protected the man who insulted a nobleman for being thrown in prison for the rest of his life. But Jesus still flips it on his head. He says, but I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So what does Jesus do in this passage? He basically breaks down everything that we have here on earth and says that it is only useful as it brings glory to heaven. If someone slaps you in the cheek, turn your other cheek because your justice is not found here on earth. If someone asks for your, or if someone takes your shirt, give them your coat as well because your possessions are not your own. If a soldier, which was common practice, requires you to drop everything to come into indentured servitude to build a road or carry his gear for him, not only do that, but go above and beyond and to serve him at an extent he would never expect. If someone asks you for money, give freely. See, Jesus is saying that our actions matter. The way that we live our lives matter, and the way that we live our lives is a reflection of of our citizenship in heaven. And so now we give up our justice freely. We give up our possessions freely, our time, our dignity, and our money so that we might forward these things that are in heaven, so that we might remember that these actions are taking place in heaven, not on earth. A great example of this comes from one of my all-time heroes, a guy named Jim Elliott, and believe it or not, Jim Elliott um, was a missionary in Ecuador, and when I was in third grade, I did a book report on his autobiography. And ever since then, I have loved his story. Jim Elliott was a young man. He was a uh, graduate of Wheaton College, and he and four others decided that when they graduated, they were going to head down to Ecuador to be missionaries, and to spread God's good news to people that had never heard it before. In particular, they wanted to minister to a tribe of people named the Waodani. Now, if you're not familiar, the Waodani people were known for being murderers and cannibals. In fact, the Waodani life expectancy was 22 years old because it was incredibly rare for them to live because they attacked each other so frequently. They had never come in contact with the outside world, and the only times that they did resulted in death. These men were vicious warriors, and they had honed their skills and were prepared for even the harshest adversary. These are the men and women that Jim Elliott and his friends decided that they were going to reach out to. A man named Nate Saint came along as their pilot, and they began for months searching for the Waodani people. So they flew this little Cessna plane and circled over until one day they spotted these people down below. 
And Nate Saint took his plane and began to drop gifts down to the people. They would lower baskets as they flew in circles around. And at first it was met with aggression, but slowly, as they continued to do it, the Waodani seemed to reciprocate. And they would put gifts as well into the basket to be sent back up. And so over the course of a few months, they established this rapport with this group of people known for their savagery. It was at this point that the men felt comfortable making physical contact. They decided that they would find a small beach along a river that they could bring and land the plane down on, and they would wait until the men and women of this tribe sought them out. They landed the plane on the beach, and sure enough, in just a few hours, two women and one young boy came to them and began to talk with them or communicate with them. They exchanged gifts. They took photographs. Until at one point, the little boy became startled and ran off into the woods. He ran back to tell his tribe. And no sooner had he got there than 10 Waodani warriors came out of the bushes, ran across the beach, and killed Jim Elliott and his four friends. What's the most profound part of this story is that prior to embarking on this mission, prior to heading off into the jungles, Jim Elliott and his wife Elizabeth sat down. And Elizabeth asked, Jim, if the Waodani warriors attack, will you use your guns to protect yourself? And Jim responded and said, no, we will not use our guns. They are not ready for heaven. We are. Those words are incredibly powerful. He understood that his life here was only as valuable as what it brought to heaven. And that if by sacrificing his life, he gave life to others, it was a worthwhile cause. He understood that whatever he had here, justice, dignity, money, and things were really meant for God. I'm astounded by this story. And it's so hard for me to think that there are men and women in this world that love Christ so much that they're willing to lay down their lives in that real of a way. This past summer, I had a few friends over for a barbecue at our place. And the night before, I had just purchased a box of popsicles that my wife and I particularly love. They are filled with chunks of pineapple, and they're delicious. And there are only like six of them in a box. And so we had a group of about 15 friends over the next day, and we were out in the back, and it was getting hot, and and people asked, do you have any popsicles? And immediately I was like, they're not going to take my popsicles, are they? And so I went inside and scrounged around and found a box of popsicles that had been left over from a previous middle school event, like basically the cheapest popsicles you could possibly buy. And I thought to myself, oh, good, I don't have to lie. And I brought the box out to my friends and passed out all the nasty lime popsicles. And they were refreshing. But it was because I am so focused on myself. I didn't want to give away those popsicles then because that meant I wasn't going to have one tonight. That meant until I went back to the store again, I wasn't going to have the things that I had specifically bought for my wife and I to enjoy. The hardest times to give the things that we have here on earth are the things that happen every single day. 
I find it easy to give to the church and set aside some of my money to give to missionaries and to give to organizations like World Vision. I find it easy to give up some of my time to go run and and raise support for clean water in Africa. I find it incredibly hard to give without expecting return to those that are closest to me. I find it incredibly hard to do something, to serve in a certain way without gaining some sort of recognition. How can we change that in our hearts? That we think of our actions as not receiving recognition here, not being paid back in full, but instead bringing glory to heaven. What would that look like for us to do? The second one is even harder. And Jesus continues to talk about what would it look like to live a life where our thoughts were focused and fixed upon the cross of Christ Jesus. What would it look like if we processed the world and saw the values of success and influence in terms of heaven and in terms of the sacrifice on the cross? We'll continue on here in Matthew 5, and it starts in 43. It says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus is referring to the Psalms, where psalmists oftentimes will say, Lord, give me a hatred for your enemy so that I might glorify you. But once again, he changes that. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is saying, I don't have enemies. Those who have sinned against me, those that have betrayed me, those are the ones that I died for. And if I'm willing to die for them, shouldn't you be able to offer them forgiveness? Shouldn't you be able to offer them grace and mercy? Shouldn't you begin to think about them as I think about them? Now, the story of Jim Elliott doesn't end there. As I said, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, they flew down and they were living in Ecuador. And Jim Elliott's wife came with him and Nate Saint's sister came with him. And they decided after their loved ones were killed that they would stay And try to serve the people that were near them. Not necessarily the ones in the jungle. But at least local native Ecuadorians. They didn't have anything to go back to in the U.S. And so they continued to serve. Until one day they heard word that a virus had stricken the tribe of men and women that had murdered their husband and brother. And so courageously they corralled their young children and they walked into the jungle. They reached the settlement where the tribe was and they offered them help. And the tribe 
brought them in knowing that they were their only chance of survival. Instead of hurling insults, instead of trying to fight and hate these men that had murdered their dearest family, they offered their aid and their help. And now this day, that Waodani tribe are all citizens of heaven. That tribe has influenced neighboring tribes to also be citizens of heaven. And they have put down their spears and begun to live a life focused on the cross of Christ. I don't think many of us have enemies like this. And I think that if we did, we might not respond so graciously to them. But I think a lot of us have situational enemies. A lot of us have people that in the right circumstance, we get frustrated with. We get angry with. We feel like they're impeding our ability to seek after our own desires. I know anytime I go to a bookstore or to a grocery store and the cashier is working slowly and not paying attention, I I just start to build up my anger as I stand in the line waiting, 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 wondering when I'm going to be able to check out. And then when I do, I quickly hand them the books and head out so that they know that I'm irritated with them. There have been plenty of times that a waiter or a waitress has given me flack or been slow in their service, and and I feel a need to make sure they recognize that they have inconvenienced me. Just as we were driving over today, there was a car that um, did not see us in their blind spot and cut us off, and we had to slam on the brakes. And, And as they slowed down to turn, I made sure that I gave them a look so they knew, hey, that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. But none of that allows us to use our relationships to further the kingdom of heaven. There was a time that my friends and I, we were at a small group gathering and we were meeting in a restaurant and we had a waiter that must have been having an awful day because he was treating us terribly. He said snarky remarks. He would roll his eyes. When we asked him what was good on the menu, he refused to tell us. He never came when we raised our hand for a little assistance. The service was slow. And you could tell that he was badgering table after table this way. And so every time he'd leave the table, my friends and I would lean in muttering about how frustrating this was. And when it came to the end to pay the tip, our friend, my friends and I sat there and we thought to ourselves, if there was ever a time to offer a huge tip It is when we're sitting here in Bible study, confronted with this tough situation. And so we went above and beyond, and I think we gave him a 30% tip amongst us. um, And we, we sent the check back, and we continued to carry on with our Bible study. And about five minutes later, the man walked up to our table and said, why did you do that? And we were still a little bit nervous about this guy. And we turned around, what do you mean? Why did you tip me when I obviously didn't deserve a tip? And right then, we were able to begin sharing with him why week after week we came and ate at this restaurant, what it, what it meant for us to be um, doing a Bible study. Share with him, hey, we've had bad days, and I can't imagine having to deal with everyone's um, senseless orders when I'm frustrated and worked up. We had an opportunity to leverage that relationship 
that situational conflict, that situational enemy, in order to point someone towards Christ. If we change the way that we process, if we change the way that we think about the world and recognize that we are truly already living in heaven, then we will make an impact that points others to the cross. So when we leave today, let's think about two things, two major takeaways. And the first one, and they'll pop up on the screen, is the first one is what is one thing you can do each day to root your actions in heaven? In other words, what would be one action, one action step that you could take each day that would be giving of yourself in order to point someone else towards heaven? I was reading on my news feed just last night. One of my friends had gone to Starbucks and they were waiting in the drive through line and they shared how much it had made their day because the person in front of them had paid for their coffee. Such a simple thing to tell someone else that the world's not all focused on us. I was preaching a few months ago in the sanctuary and I was standing in the, um, in the greeting line afterwards and I commented on a man's uh, suit coat. I said how much I liked it and, and he immediately took it off and he said, if you like it, it's yours. In fact, the sweater that I'm wearing today is my brother's sweater who when I told him that I liked the sweater, gave it to me. What is one action that we can take to bring others joy and to point others towards heaven. And the second one, the second one is what is one relationship that you can change to focus your thoughts upon the cross? In other words, what is one of these situational conflicts? Maybe it's making an oath to every day, anytime that you have somebody that frustrates you, a cashier that frustrates you, you go over the top with your graciousness with them. You begin sharing with them about your day, asking about theirs. Maybe it's tipping all waiters at a certain level, saying that no matter how good you are, I'm going to offer you this, not because of your service to me, but because of my service to Christ. Maybe when you're in a conversation or an argument with your spouse, instead of trying to win, we offer grace and understanding. It looks different for each of us, but as we leave, let our actions, one action each day, impact others for Christ and let our thoughts be focused on the cross in a way that it changes our relationships. I want to leave you with one last quote from Jim Elliott. He was journaling before he left and he wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. He is no fool that gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. As I pray, the band is going to come up and join us in worship. And I hope that we will be able to engage with this quote and give from the things that we have, whether it's our dignity, our justice, our possessions, or our money, in order to impact others for Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here. Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious God. And even though, Lord, you call us to great things, even though you call us to a citizenship in heaven, that when we fail, you forgive us time after time. Lord, I pray that as we leave today, we recognize ourselves as beings of heaven. Lord, even though it feels like we're here on earth, even though we're constantly distracted by the things of earth, 
truly you have called us to dwell with you in eternity. And I pray that our thoughts and our actions would be a reflection of that. And pray this in your name. Amen.